from the Thai Cats Audio Network. This is Thai Cats Today with Louie B. This is Thai Cats Today for a Wednesday, September the 29th, 2021. Hopefully, you're having a great week so far. Just a few more days until the Thai Cats return to Tim Hortons Fields. That'll be Saturday. After parting ways with Sportsnet Radio earlier this year, this was supposed to be the summer of Dave Cadeau. But the Hamilton Tiger Cats had other ideas. Cadeau, the former director of programming for sports radio at Rogers Sports and Media, has been recruited as the executive director of the new Thai Cats Audio Network an in-house content machine super-serving fans with daily and game day programming amid increasingly scant resources in conventional broadcasting. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome Dave Cadeau to talk about the future of pro sports media content and the ever-changing sports radio landscape. Uh, my name is Dave Cadeau, and um, I've been in Canadian media for 21 years. Uh, it started with a degree in psychology at the University of Western Ontario and followed with postgraduate diploma at Humber College for Journalism. After the first year of that two-year program, I got an internship with Toronto's Fan 590, and that fall, they offered me a position as a full-time producer. So at that time, I did what they called jobbing out, Humber allowed me to move on and they still gave me my diploma, recognizing that the experience I would gain would be equal to or better than what they would teach me in school. So that was about the year 2000. I was a producer, produced a handful of shows, produced Bill Hayes, uh, Gord Stelic, um over the years, Chuck Swirsky, Mike Hogan. And along the way, I became a reporter. I was in Argonauts visitors dressing room to start and then hopped all around. I was a writer for Antonio Davis's website. Antonio Davis was a Raptor, so I'd go down to every game, every home game, and, and interview him afterward. As things moved forward, I picked up additional positions at the fan and additional positions or work outside of the radio station. So at the fan over the years, I was a producer, a reporter, a sportscaster, and a talk show host, always a producer throughout those years. I was one of the voices at The Score, which was a national highlights, sports highlights channel. So I was called a sweet reporter, but you would sit and, and, and watch a handful of games with an editor, write your scripts, voice those highlights. I was a floor director with Leafs TV for a few years. There was an NHL lockout, dropped that position, but then I received a call and an invitation to audition to be a play-by-play voice for the New Market Hurricanes, a tier two junior A hockey team north of Toronto. And I loved that. I did that for four seasons. And over that time, I had had regular conversations with Todd Hayes, who was a producer with TSN's Off the Record. And one of the great things about this business is no matter how much you love it and no matter how passion-driven it is, it doesn't always pay a mortgage in Toronto. So <laughs> Todd and I had been talking over the years, and um, he wanted me to join his team as a Chase producer on Off the Record. You know, I, I came to the decision that that was what made sense for my wife and I. So I stopped doing everything. I had four roles going at that time and just focused on off the record. So I went to TSN. As part of that, I stopped hosting a talk show. I stopped doing play-by-play, which were things I loved. But, you know, I decided that I wasn't going to be the next Bob McCowan or the next Jim Hewson. 
And so, you know, I wanted to go in this new direction with an eye on getting into management at some point. So I was at TSN's off the record for three years, and that was great. And while I was there, I got talking to Don Collins, who was program director at The Fan. So Don wasn't there when I left. It was Nelson Millman. Don and I got talking, and, and a number of months later, he offered me a position as a senior producer. So I left TSN and went back to The Fan. That would be 11, 12 years ago. And over the years, I went from senior producer to assistant program director to program director of The Fan. And then they added the station in Calgary and we built a station in Vancouver and I became national format director for sports for Rogers Radio. And I oversaw those three stations until February of this year when my role and I were eliminated uh, from the plan at Sportsnet. And I've started consulting. I'm working with the Ticats now of the CFL. In early August, I helped them or started the build of an audio channel for the Ticats, the Ticats Audio Network. We create game day broadcasting, which we stream, and we have a partnership with the local radio station in Hamilton to broadcast the games on terrestrial. And we also create programming throughout the week via podcast. And that's where I am today, and we'll see where things go. So we we have the fact that we've both been restructured by Rogers in common. But, uh, you know, that can be a, a cathartic experience in itself, because I think that's probably the first time in two decades you were looking for work. But how did the discussion start with the Ticats? So, you know, one thing, as a member of the... Uh, not so exclusive club that we are members. The company took great care of me. So I had a lot of opportunity to relax. And for the first time in my career uh, or in my working years, my career years, to really focus on breathing. And I mean, everything had just been nonstop, go, go, go. So my family moved to a cottage that we rent um, in Southern Ontario. And it was a lot of time on the beach and that kind of stuff. Kids were in school and things like that from May through to the end of June. And in uh, mid to late July, I got a call from the Ticats. You know, they presented this idea to me. And I, I, to be really frank about it, I wasn't sure it was something I wanted to do. And so I needed to talk to my wife about it. And and whatnot. It was supposed to be the summer of Dave. Um, <laughs> uh, that was a family plan. But this this idea was really cool. So when we had follow up conversations, I started to get excited again. I started to think about what our potential was. So it really started with a phone call of "We're going to do this, and we'd like you to lead it. Are you in?" And as we got talking further, you know, Matt Afanek, who's the president of the Ticats, he was someone I could just tell through our Zoom meetings that I would love to go into the trenches with and it would be a good time along the way. So, you know, we were pretty frank about that kind of stuff too as we were talking and you realize the kind of relationship you're going to need to have together to do something like this. And so I guess, you know, it just, it happened pretty quickly, but it took a real turnaround for me on mindset on what I was going to do in the upcoming months, because I, I really had intended to remain in vacation mode through to beyond Labor Day when my kids would go back to school and then I could start thinking about what I was going to do next. So it was a nice surprise. My understanding is that part of the motivation to found this in-house network was because of a lack of interest or attention from the mainstream broadcasters, both from a local resource standpoint, but also because of Hamilton's geography being so close to Toronto, among other competing pro sports franchises. Yeah, Hamilton's definitely unique that way. I mean, it's, it's between Toronto and Buffalo, and those are two major media hubs. 
you know, the interesting thing, because uh, the vast majority of my life has been spent in Toronto, where the Argonauts are and the, and the Canadian Football League are not a big part of sports storylines. But the Tiger Cats are emblematic of being a Hamiltonian. They are very important to the people that live there. Attending the games have been far more the atmosphere and the excitement and the feeling of the community coming together. It's amazing. The walk to the stadium hours and hours before a game. Uh, They've only had two home games so far, the way the schedule has been structured, but both of those experiences have been incredible. And the reaction we're getting to the content we're creating and the access we're creating has been incredible. Uh, so Hamilton is unique. And then the lack of coverage would be in part that geographic part that we just talked about, but also it's the state of sports media in Canada right now. They they had their games broadcasting on TSN Radio Hamilton. And in January, that station folded uh, along with some others. And so suddenly they were without a radio partner. And I think that uh, that was the spark which led to them having further discussions about what are we going to do from an audio standpoint. So let's talk about what the Ticats Audio Network encompasses. This is a multi-show, multi-talent operation. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's been something else that's quite amazing is our access to resources. So it's five hours of content on game day, except Labor Day, we did an extra hour, but we do an hour long pregame show. We do the broadcast, we do a halftime show, we do a a one hour postgame show. And right there, there are four broadcasters involved. So you have RJ Broadhead, who's a long-term veteran of national play-by-play in this country. He's with Sportsnet, Louis B., who's Louis Butko. He's been a digital host with the Tiger Cats for a number of years, very talented. So RJ is the play-by-play man, and Louis does the pre-half and post-game content, among other things. He's very busy. And then we have two former Tiger Cats involved in those broadcasts. So Luke Tasker, former wide receiver, he's in there as our analyst. And Annie Fantuz joins Louie on the pre-half and post-game show, another receiver. And then we have a ton of alumni who we rotate through the pre-half and post-game shows in various ways. And it's amazing. Like we we weren't doing that with any of the other products I've touched in this country, whether it's Canucks, Flames, Leafs, Blue Jays, Raptors, you know, and those are big products and big teams, but the, just the access wasn't that regular with so many athletes that that had played for the, for the local team. So it's quite incredible. And that's just on game day broadcasts. We are currently at 11 episodes of podcasts per week. So something that's missing locally is audio content or visual content that's, you know, regular news coverage of the team. So we have a daily podcast, which is the news and notes on the team. Then there's a weekly podcast of the same. We have a weekly roundtable show about the stories around the CFL. We have personality-driven podcasts. Uh, Morialli and Hitch, there's a couple of Mike Morialli and Rob Hitchcock, a couple of big names who are local guys who played for the team who were stars. Task and Twos, again, Tasker and Fan Twos, they do a show together that's personality driven with some analysis as well. And we have uh, Coach O, Coach Orlando Steinauer has a show with us. So it's terrific access, but also a lot of personality. So we're, we're trying to service both needs. One is what's going on with my team. And the other is, you know, storytelling and entertainment. Are there advantages to being able to connect with fans 
more directly from an organizational perspective? I would say absolutely from the team's perspective. Yes. I mean, it's it's a direct pipeline. People email into the show and their information could go right to the top of the company if there's a need for that. So I would say yes. There are no questions to be asked in either direction, up or down or in or out as far as what kind of content we want to create. Uh, there are huge advantages for the team in the sense that, you know, if there's a message to get out, it's done directly and efficiently. Here's an example. About four weeks ago, the city of Hamilton, which is involved with the stadium, Tim Hortons Field, they were having uh, some vaccination clinics at Tim Hortons Field. And they asked us to, you know, so it was in our best interest to promote this. So we did. And we used our products to help get the word out. That right there is a great example of the value of um, avoiding the middle person or, or whatever you would want to call your media partner. But beyond that, we do have a relationship with the local radio station, 900 CHML. And uh, because they do our terrestrial broadcasts, they help as well. They help amplify the message. So I would say without question, great advantage for the team. And then on the other side, huge advantage for the audience, because first of all, they were underserved before, and now they're super served, I'd like to think. And we're going to continue to add more content um, and increase that service. The timing of your appearance here is is somewhat ironic in that just yesterday, there was a bit of a shakeup at your former station, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. What What do you make of the strategic shift by Rogers Sports and Media to actually say we're moving away from the traditional radio lineup to focus on on-demand content. Well, first of all, ShakeUp was actually across all three stations just to increase the impact of that statement. And it's it's a sign of the times. I, you know, it's, it's where things are going. I, I, I'm not here to say, you know, quote, radio is dead or anything like that. But I do think that What's happened uh, over the last 18, 20 months is an acceleration of the transition from listening live, listening all day long to the same station, being plugged in regardless of what's presented to you and picking and choosing what you want to hear, when you want to hear it, how you want to hear it, and wherever you may be. I always used to say that that people drive their radios around, you know, gone are the days of having a big wooden radio in the, in the living room and the family gathers around and looks at it. Kitchen radios are basically gone. A lot of the younger generation doesn't own an alarm clock. They just have their phone at bedside. And so the transition has been continuing to happen. And when the pandemic hit and people stopped driving radios around, they stopped listening to radio or they had to make a real effort to listen, even though it was often just telling your smart speaker to play this or that. They had to go and choose that content. And the vast majority of Canadian sports audio content wasn't being consumed to the same level as it was before. The feeling is in the industry is that the habits have now hardened and people are going, they've discovered all of these other products that are out there. And a lot of the products are star driven. I want to hear what so-and-so has to say. I want to be entertained by this duo because they're hilarious together, whatever it may be. But it's no longer, it's the local station, I'm going to flip it on because it's going to be talking about my team. There are now 36 versions of that available. Whether or not they're all good is up for debate, but they're out there and the options 
you know, are for you to choose. And so I appreciate the changes that they made. Change is always hard. There are always people who are affected in a negative way. And I'm very curious to see how this goes, but they're making an effort. They're recognizing and making an effort to make the transition that the world is making. It's it's very interesting that the first real stated incarnation of this is happening in sports media. It, you know firsthand, it's a rough time to be a program director, no matter you know what format you're in. How many times did you rebuild that fan morning show? Do you have any advice for programmers? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it was a decade of turnover in the morning show. Um, and it's that trying to find the chemistry. If there was anything I could give from the challenges that I had a direct hand in or was involved with, it's, I think it's find the chemistry first. You got to find the chemistry first and build from the chemistry. One of the really hard things that I'm seeing happen, and, you know, you, you pointed it out perfectly in that it's not just sports, it's all throughout the industry is, and, and, and as more and more content becomes syndicated or is trying to be fit into a brand, the best way to create great content is to find the pieces that fit together, but then also have the pieces play to their strengths. You need to give the talent some ownership of what they're creating. The last thing we should be doing as programmers is trying to get the pieces you have to mimic or copy or fit into a specific brand. If they don't fit the brand that you're trying to create, then they're the wrong pieces for you. But people need to have, uh, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's art. So you need to let the artists perform as they feel they are playing to their strengths. And it's part of your job to recognize the strengths and help them highlight those things and improve on their weaknesses and whatnot. But if you just try to wedge them into something, it's unlikely to be successful. So find that chemistry first and build out from those strengths. We've already touched on sort of shrinking resources, but here in Vancouver with the loss of TSN radio in this market, we have a lot of former sports radio hosts successfully launching their own digital shows to meet the need for coverage that the main networks are no longer providing, particularly in that radio space. Do you think more pro sports teams are going to head in the direction the Ticats have and that, you know, the future of sports media in general is going to be on on-demand content? Yeah. I certainly think so. I think for the opener of what you said, you know, it's interesting, but what is considered successful? A duo putting a show together and putting it out will have very different targets from a corporation putting content out. And so the determination of what is successful is is part of the equation. But yes, you know, the the one of the real challenges for a programmer to kind of make the transition from is when you are in broadcast, it is all about broadcast, casting your net and gathering as many eyeballs or earballs or whatever you want to call them into the content that you're creating. And always, always, that's a win and, and you would love to have that. But the beauty of podcast is that it's allowing for more and more and more niche products. And recognizing that and speaking directly to your audience will A, create a loyal audience and B, probably create more of a connection, more of a trust, and therefore more value for those advertisers that you do acquire, which revenue is always a part of the equation. And so if you have, you know, a small audience, but they're going to buy anything that you present, well, that's a win. 
And if you have a massive audience, obviously there's a win there, but we can't all have that. And these teams that are in the smaller markets, speaking of sports, they need to connect with their audience in some way, shape or form. And they can't rely on media brands to do so because the media brands need the big net to catch as many audience members as possible. So I absolutely see more teams doing this, but I, you know, I do think the pandemic has accelerated this process that probably would have rolled out over the next decade. Is that a bad thing? Do you think there are more advantages to this multi-platform approach outside the confines of that traditional broadcast model? Well, I think it really depends on how the multi-platform approach is handled. You can't just stick TV on radio. You can't just stick radio and TV. And then, you know, let's roll that into all the other spaces that are out there now. There does need to be an adjustment made or a sacrifice made or a post-production enhancement made. So A, I'm very curious what the multi-platform approaches are that will be taken moving forward. Because the the initial thought is, well, if we create this content and we put it in five places, well, then we're going to save on the execution of four. Terrific. High five, move forward. Well, that it just doesn't work. And we all know that. So what are the costs? What are the, the time, people, financial costs of converting that content and giving it life in another place? Um, multi-platform delivery should absolutely create wins for the content creator, but somebody has to have a hand and understand for the platforms that they're making all of those things. So, you know, taking a uh, radio show that has an amazing story and turning that into an animation to deliver to a social channel, that's a win. Putting that show as a 60 minute item on Twitter with a, an audio wave on it, that's a fail, you know, and, and I'm exaggerating, but for the sake of argument or for the sake of making the point, I, I really think it, it depends on execution, but you can't just live in one space anymore and you have to know uh, and be great at delivering to all the spaces to which you're delivering. Do you have a thought you want to close on, Dave? Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, the one thing about the pandemic and acceleration, it, it's created a state of excitement, but it's also it's also done some stunting to a lot of careers out there. And I really feel for people who felt they were on the cusp of their chance or what was next. And if they feel that that is gone, if you're a talented broadcaster, you're a talented presenter, you're a talented writer, you can likely adapt to the change that's coming. I don't think it's fair to say that this industry is shrinking. I just think this industry as we knew it is changing and the legacy spaces are shrinking. But there's a lot of opportunity opening up in other spaces. And I hope that people who've invested themselves in this, this world, sports media or media, I hope that they can discover what their value is uh, as things evolve. I really appreciate you joining us, Dave. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Alison Langer. 
And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.